Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of, I was going to say Hebrews, but that's not right. It's the book of Exodus. And uh, we're beginning a series this evening uh, in uh, this famous book in the Old Testament. And someone once said to me that the definition of success is biting off more than you can chew and then chewing it. And so we've got Exodus chapters 1 to 2, which is a lot to bite off in 20 minutes, but I think we'll see that we can actually make some good progress. And I'm going to read to us uh, just from the end of uh, those two chapters, Exodus 2, uh, verses 23 to 25, um, but we'll just uh, walk through uh, the beginning of the story uh, together. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we come now to God's Word. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do uh, thank you for these amazing words that we've been singing, uh, that you are worthy, and we wish to bow before you and praise you. And Lord, uh, we thank you too for the story, the stories we've heard of your uh, favor and um, the encouraging stories of the way your people have ministered to each other. It warms our hearts, Lord. And we're so grateful. And so we come now to your word at the end of this day and pray, Lord, that uh, your word uh, would accomplish, as you promised it would, what you have purposed for it to do. And we pray this uh, for your great glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, we're just going to read out from the end of Exodus chapter 2 and beginning in verse 23. Let's hear God's word. During those many days, the king of Egypt uh, died, that of course is Pharaoh, and the people of Israel groaned, I'll be thinking about groaning in the prayer that uh, uh, Josh uh, led us through, of course from uh, reflecting Romans 8, but here in the Old Testament they're groaning. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Well, we're coming to this book of Exodus in our, as we relaunch the evening service, and uh, the question is, why are we going to look at uh, this famous book in the Old Testament together over the next a couple months or so? And uh, the first answer I have for that is simply because I think it's helpful uh, for any congregation, for us as a congregation, to not only look at the didactic parts of Scripture, that is uh, Paul's letters, the sort of doctrinal Um, parts of scripture, but also the narrative, the story uh, parts of the Bible, and not only to look at the story parts of the Bible, but to look at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Uh, Christians, uh, the whole Bible is our Bible. And uh, when uh, the early disciples were meeting to preach in the book of Acts, they're preaching, of course, from the Old Testament scriptures. This, This is our Bible, the Old Testament, uh, I think uh, uh, Dan, Dr. Block calls it the First Testament, I think. That's a very good way of uh, expressing it. This is 
our Bible, the Scriptures. And so it's very important, and we're in the New Testament right now uh, on Sunday morning, but it's very important that we have in our diet as a church, the food that we're eating, also um, the Old Testament, and also the narrative portions of the Scripture. We're told uh, in, uh, in the Bible that we should um, uh, teach the whole counsel of God. And of course, that's a huge um, issue that, you know, what does that exactly mean? How do you do that? But at least it means that we should have a variety of teaching uh, from the different parts of Scripture and make sure that all the time we're speaking uh, the whole message of the Scripture and not picking and choosing our preferred parts. Uh, and so that's partly why we're doing it, just so that we have a variety of diet. But in particular, this book of Exodus, I think, is very, very important for us because it helps us as a church to think clearly about how we can be a faithful community in a secularized, increasingly secularized country. And um, that's especially important. Oh, my water bottle is leaking. That's very interesting. I'll put that back down again. And put my Bible a little bit further up. Um, but obviously our society is becoming more secularized right now. And uh, this book of Exodus helps us think that through because God's Old Testament people were dealing, especially uh, at the beginning of the story of Exodus, and, but then throughout the story with a society that was not pro their faith. How do we live like that? It's a huge question that we have to face. And many people come up with various answers over the years, uh, right back to Leslie Newbegin, which his famous set of uh, reflections on the missiological state, which the Western church is now in, uh, to the sort of culture wars and Francis Schaeffer and all this. Some of you will know about that. And to being missional as a church, contextualizing the ministry and all the rest. And it's not that the book of Exodus is going to directly answer all those questions, but it will give us a biblical way of thinking and a biblical heart for those questions. And I think especially uh, the passage we're looking at tonight will help us uh, with that. In other words, we need to think what it means to be a rescued people in the context of a secularized society. Well, what is the book of Exodus about? Let me give us, first of all, a general overview so that we can understand how to put this uh, passage into context. Uh, The book of Exodus is, in essence, telling a story of rescue that is deliberately incomplete. Its story of rescue is intentionally told in a way that is not complete. And of course, the reason for that is so that we will read the book of Exodus and realize there's a, there's a further horizon. And uh, it does that with um, these uh, three um, sections to it. So chapters 1 to 15 are about rescue or how God rescued his people. And then chapters 20 to 31 are about revelation or how God speaks to his people. Uh, And then chapter 35 to 40 is about religion, in a positive sense, or how God meets with his people. But in between each of those sections, there are chapters on how that is incomplete. So between chapter 15 and chapter 20, you have the incompleteness of the rescue. 
And from uh, chapter 31 to, to uh, 35, you have the, the incompleteness of, uh, of the word. The, there is not yet the final word. The final word is still to come in Christ. And then right at the end of the book, uh, in the last paragraph, you have the incompleteness of the religion that is being given to God's people and how God meets with his people. For God finally meets with his people in it, when he tabernacles among them in the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnation. So all of this is a telling a story of res- rescue and underneath that revelation, God speaking and the, the way we're meant to worship that is intentionally incomplete. All the time, it's telling us this story to point us to the further horizon of, uh, of Christ. Well, what then about these um, uh, first two chapters? Uh, when you look at um, a narrative portion of Scripture, you have to ask yourself how it's structured. And in my view, these uh, first two chapters are structured around a deliberate conflict, And the conflict is between two characters in these first two chapters. And those two characters are Pharaoh and God. And the question that uh, Moses uh, traditionally thought to be the author of Exodus, and I I think by and large we can agree that, that he was, even though we don't know for sure. But the question the author of Exodus is writing Uh, is intending us to to answer is, who is truly king, Pharaoh or God? Who's going to win, Pharaoh or God? Who's in charge, Pharaoh or God? And of course, as we live in a secularized society, we are asking ourselves the same question. Who's going to win? Who's truly in charge? Is it Pharaoh? It certainly seems like it, doesn't it? Pharaoh's um, uh, efforts to dominate are described in verses 8 through to 22. And you'll see there that he first of all enslaves the people. He's frightened of them, so he enslaves them, verses 13 and 14. Uh, So they, under Pharaoh's instructions, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. They're enslaving God's people. The God's people are a threat to Pharaoh, he thinks. And so he enslaves them. But not only does he enslave them, we find he goes further. Verse 16, um, he uh, tells uh, the uh, Hebrew midwives Thought, uh, verse 16, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. So he's not only enslaving God's people, he's intentionally attempting to commit a kind of partial um, genocide. Now, that's the situation. Uh, and we've been praying about Afghanistan and the, the violence there that we believe is taking place uh, towards Christians. And we get concerned about the drift of secular society in the West. Here, is, here are God's people physically enslaved in the most brutal of ways. And actually their very uh, children are under threat of being killed. 
or is Pharaoh going to win? Is the secular agenda in our society going to win? But there's another character in the story, and that, of course, is God. And we see uh, God is a promise-keeping God. Uh, We uh, discover that in verses 1 to 7, particularly verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. Of course, this is a fulfillment of the promise that God gave uh, to Abraham. It's a partial fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that they would be fruitful and multiply. God is a promise-keeping God, the book of Exodus is saying. He's keeping his promise. Uh, But God is not only a promise-keeping God, he's also a providence Uh, making God. He's providing for them. And uh, you find that in uh, verses 1 to 22 of of chapter 2. And there, of course, we're introduced to the the great rescue figure in the the book of Exodus, uh, Moses. And uh, Moses, though, is an incomplete rescuer, isn't he? Very incomplete. Uh, He has a zeal to rescue uh, God's people. Um, but uh, though he has a zeal, uh, he becomes a murderer. Uh, verse 12, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He's a very incomplete rescuer. And not only does he become a murderer, when it's discovered that he's a murderer, he flees, he runs away from the task of rescue. And in fact, uh, goes and sets up his own family a long, long way away. He, he flees from the problem. He doesn't try to solve the problem. He's not exactly the ideal hero figure. But God is going to provide through him nonetheless. And so we find that not only is God a promise-keeping God, a providence-making God, he's also a prayer hearing God. And this is verses 23 to 24. Do you notice the emphasis that the author of uh, Exodus has for us? Uh, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and, verse 24, God heard, God remembered uh, his covenant, God saw, and God knew. So this conflict has been introduced between Pharaoh and God, and we know the story, uh, God's going to win. But the author of, uh, of Exodus is putting us in this story to ask that question so that we can ask it for ourselves. Who is going to win? Who is truly king? And the answer is God, and he will win. Well, what should be our response Uh, to this uh, teaching of uh, the opening chapters of Exodus and the story of God's coming victory. I think, first of all, it should be gratitude. Our salvation in Christ is complete. Uh, We haven't yet arrived in heaven But the fulfillment of the ages has come upon us. 
And we don't have a Moses, we have a Jesus. We should be filled with gratitude. But not only should we have gratitude, I think we should have grit. If you do have a Bible, turn with me to uh, that book of Hebrews I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. And you'll see what I mean. The author of Hebrews reflects on the stories of the Old Testament to encourage endurance. In uh, Hebrews eleven thirty nine, he says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So we have in Christ the fulfillment, the better salvation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if, if they persevered, how much more should we? We should have grit, endurance. I think it means we should uh, be active in evangelism. Gratitude, grit, evangelism. Uh, Surely we should tell others about this great salvation. And I think it means we should be active in prayer. Their cry for rescue came up to God. I um, was reflecting with a friend of mine who's a, um, a Christian journalist and uh, not in this congregation, uh, though he was and now he lives in a different part of the country, um, but he's a fairly prominent Christian journalist. And we were reflecting together how strange it is that there's been so little calling out to God for rescue from the church in the midst of all the trauma that we've been going through. So little. I wonder what intensity of slavery and pressure we will need to experience before the church truly gets on its knees in repentance and cries out to God for rescue. And if you're not a Christian here this evening, cry out to rescue, for rescue. For if we do, God will hear, God will remember His covenant, God sees, And God knows what we have prayed this evening. And uh, let's pray again as we come to a close with gratitude and pray for the kind of endurance that we should have as we begin this series in the book of Exodus and restart these evening service uh, community events around God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for the story of Exodus and the wonderful power that you show as you defeat the Pharaoh of that day. 
And Lord, uh, many of us feel like we're in a time of oppression or um, confusion. And we pray, Lord, that the book of Exodus will give us courage and confidence. That when the question is asked, who's going to win, Pharaoh or God? The answer is you, Lord. So help us then to be a people of gratitude and courage, telling others about you. And we pray, Lord, as we look now to the beginning of a new week, that we would enter that week with the sort of joy and confidence that comes from knowing that you are a God who hears and answers prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.